Well, hi everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, so, Africa United. We have the director in the house tonight, Debs. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me calling you Debs. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, thank you very much uh, for coming along this evening. Oh no, thank you, thank you for coming out. Answer some questions. Um, but before we start, I'll also mention that your composer is in the house tonight as well, yeah. um, Bernie Gardner. So if you have any burning questions and you love the music, um, Bernie's available to answer questions. But firstly, um, let's talk to Debs about um, Africa United. Um, one question, I'm, the burning <coughs> question on my lips anyway is, I'm sure everybody else wants to know, is that um, I think you're a short filmmaker, um, you know, working outside of the establishment. Yeah. <laughs> and then you made this transition, you know, to a feature, your first feature, you know, with incredible backing from people like, you know, Pathé. Yeah. So could you tell us how that came about? Yeah, how on earth they were yeah, to do yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'd made, uh, I think, four shorts. Um, mm. Uh, wasn't in the position that you were in of being able to come to film school was still trying to figure that out um, but uh, in the meanwhile had um, made four shorts one the first one was in Rwanda um, I'm, I'm, I don't look it but I'm actually eligible for a Rwandan passport my mum was born and brought up there um, so the um, early 2007 um, remembered a story that I'd heard on the radio mm. 10 years before really inspirational true story about some kids that had refused to separate in the aftermath of the genocide and um, so rebels had come to their school the kids had refused to separate six of them died 400 survived and they were made national heroes as a result so I figured that was a really amazing story um, went out with uh, Bernie who did the music and uh, four other friends from the UK worked with some random filmmakers we shot a dramatic short on I think it cost uh, 2,400 pounds uh, with everybody playing their own flights <laughs> Um, and got some money to finish it once we once we came back here, um, uh, and that played in. It, interesting, it didn't really play in festivals in the UK, but it played in festivals across the states. Um, picked up a couple of nods there, and then um, like the Mexican UN put it in schools and that kind of thing. We organised a screening um, for friends and family here at BAFTA, um, which some producers heard about. They were interested in Rwandan stories, so they came to see it, which were the producers of this film. Um, so that was end of 2007, mm -hmm. and Footprint Films said, "Oh, we're interested. You know, we like what you've done. We're interested in doing some more stuff with you." So uh, then made um, uh, another two shorts with them to kind of develop the reel. They were they'd been out of features for a little while. We're getting back into wanting to develop their reels too. So uh, we made a feature for a competition in the states, um, which was you get the you got the brief. Um, I think on you know on day one and by day fourteen you had to have a finished film up to eleven minutes, so um, submitted that and actually got best director in that competition, and then um, uh, went to Rwanda to research the story, uh, made uh, finished the research trip and then the last day of the trip made a, a five minute short with a bunch of Rwandan filmmakers again, uh, another true story that was just really unusual and inspiring and that got into a competition in the states which then selected 15 finalists and gave us a budget of $15,000 each to make another short film. So we were selected to be in the finalists there, went to India to make the next short film, which was um, about a little Indian uh, uh, orphan kid whose mum is blind and so he makes a pretend school so that she won't send him away to, to an orphanage so he can get an education. Um, 
so that was my first experience of working on film. You know, we used the money that we had to work with a, um, a, a crew in Bangalore. We went to Bangalore because my uh, sister's in-laws live in Bangalore, so we could stay there for free. Um, we shot it in Canada, which is the Bangalore language, because if you shoot in English, it's this much money. If you shoot in Hindi, it's this much money. If you shoot in Canada, the local one, it's this much money. So we went the cheapest route. Shot Super 16 for that. Um, won the judges' vote, but not the public vote in the competition. So um, uh, kind of a, a, a half and half scenario there. But then it meant that when we came to Pathé with this script and they fell in love with the script, um, I had like a showreel that could show work in Rwanda as well as work with kids, as well as, um, you know, stuff that they felt was emotionally engaging. So for some reason, known only to themselves, they said, yeah, you can do it. Uh, That's a long-winded answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you a lot of information there. So how, how did you find this script? You know, is it, is it something you were aware of from... from well, no, we found that the idea came as a one-liner. It was um, myself and the producers and the screenwriter, Ridian, uh, were meeting about another idea, actually, at the beginning of last year. It was sort of Christmas 2008 into January 2009. Um, we were chatting about another idea in Hong Kong, and then um, the, some of the Rwandan guys that I'd worked with before got in touch and said, oh, you know, what about a film where some Rwandan kids walked to the South African World Cup? And all four of us were like, that's wicked. <laughs> um, sort of feeling it was a, an opportunity to tell a different kind of um, story out of Africa. Felt like it could be really fun. Um, uh, you know, a bit naive, a bit magical. Carry some, sort of smuggle some hand grenades in there as well. Um, and the... Uh, um, so, so we started off with a one-liner January last year. Um, we got some... We needed some private investment to get going. So we found uh, one of our exec producers heard about the project um, in March, gave us, I think, 25 grand to get going on it. Um, so Ridian and myself and Bernie, the composer, and Ayub, one of the random filmmakers, got in a uh, Jeep and did the journey that the kids would need to do in the film. So we drove Rwanda, Congo, Burundi, Tanzania, and then part two was Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa, which is the way to develop a road trip script. <laughs> um, you know, just did it, got lost, made friends, got stuck at borders, um, got chased once. Um, the um, workshop, the story with a bunch of ex-street kids and ex-child soldiers and ex-sex workers in Burundi, Celeste um, was explicitly inspired by one of the girls we met there. The stuff under the lake in the Kikuchi Lake was um, uh, inspired by one of the, the, the reasons that the, one of those kids had left home, like all this kind of stuff. So even though it's quite sort of fairy tale and fantasy in some level, a lot of it's inspired by real stuff that we encountered. Mm. So then, so Ridian wrote a draft in six weeks, um, uh, which went straight to Pathé. I think version 1B went to Pathé, and within a matter of weeks, I think it was August last year, we had a breakfast at Cartluccio's in Market Square with the head of UK Pathé, the head of International Pathé, and the head of Development. And I'm kind of sitting there going, oh, my word. <laughs> and, but they wanted, they wanted in, and they seemed to think we could uh, give it a crack. So that was, that was where that started. Gosh, so... I mean Financing sounds quite easy then, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but once Pathé came in, uh, they took the lead on pulling it together pretty much. I mean, the producers were... Um, the Rwandan government set up a Rwandan film commission so that it could be... I think it's the first UK-Rwanda-South Africa co-production. Okay. Um, uh, which meant that we... Because of the co-production laws, you can only... F you can film in the countries that it's a co-production with and one other... And because we wanted to shoot in Burundi as well as Rwanda mm. to try and get the, as much variety of landscape as we could, 
Uh, we needed the Rwandan government to do that, so thankfully they did. <laughs> um, but the so yeah, so there was some private investment, but Pathé kind of took the lead on bringing in the uh, BBC films and the UKFC, and then uh, there was a bit alongside that. But yeah. Wow. That's that's quite impressive. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is what we all uh, aspire to. We're um, you know emerging filmmakers, so. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you're kind of like an inspiration to us. Um, I want to just ask a little bit more about the story. You know, um, how, how important was it for you to tell this kind of story? Um, in the past, we've had different stories emerge from Africa, you know, a huge continent. But th this, this is a, a new kind of story. You know, is, is this well, what drove you to, to the project? Yeah, I think so. I think um, the short film like the We're All Rwandans short film, it had been, um, it's a really inspirational story, but it is genocide related. Mm. And so when we'd shown it around the world, people had really connected. But then when we showed it in Rwanda, especially in rural communities in Rwanda, um, the response was like, oh man, <laughs> you know, it's another genocide story. Mm. And that had, that had affected us all quite deeply, I think, with the... Um, you know, because stories shape so much how you, what you're allowed to expect from the world. And I think the feeling in Rwanda is so much like, please open the box a bit. You know, like there's, it's, as well as having had an incredibly tragic situation, it's an incredibly inspiring country and a massively entrepreneurial country as well. You know, like they're kind of modeling themselves on Singapore and Bangalore, you know, to be the kind of technology hub of East Africa. They're building a great big new airport that hopefully can rival Nairobi. And if you ever spend any time in Nairobi Airport, that, that's a good thing. Um, the, um, but the, um, the, you know, there's a lot of incredibly positive stories, and the, the, the younger generation coming up have a huge sense of, you know, it doesn't happen again. Um, so the, there, was a, there was a big feeling of wanting to just tell another story like make a comedy make yeah. a make a an inspirational empowering um sort of changing the perception story mm. so it was yeah it felt personal and like my first job out of college randomly was presenting match of the day in singapore so <laughs> the, the football connection was relevant as well <laughs> obviously <laughs> it felt like you know the football was maybe a backdrop to what yeah, you, what football, you wanted to say. Yeah, the metaphor rather than the subject, yeah. I think. Right. But it's, it is a universal language like music. You know, the everybody, I mean, I guess not, well, more so in the States than it has been, but everywhere else in the world, everybody speaks football, everybody, and, it's, and English football as well. Mm. Everybody knows what team everyone's playing for, who's winning the league. You've never watched a football match until you've watched one in Africa. Like, the crowds are immense. So we knew it was going to be a special... Um, uh, like a special time when the World Cup came and it felt like a unique moment as well and I think, I do think that helped the film happen mm. you know, there was a real there was a sense that um, there was a, a ticking clock on it was now or never to yeah. make it if we missed the window of the World Cup happening it would feel like old news Whereas, so uh, I'm, I'm sure that brought an impetus to it that, um, that we might not have had otherwise mm. Mm. blinded pathway to the, the logic of what they were doing <laughs> Excellent. Um, so actually, so mounting your production then, you know, what, what challenges, um, you know, did you come across? I mean, this is, um, I mean, if you could tell us about your creative personnel, you know, and your crew, how you went about amassing all those people. And um, we were really reliant, you know, the, the kids obviously, um, 
I didn't have any idea how much the, the child labour laws were going to restrict shooting hours. Everyone said this. Everyone said you need to factor that in. And I was like, yeah, 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 it'll be fine. And then the first day of shooting, I was like, oh, crap, we are never going to get this done. Because <laughs> you can shoot five and three-quarter hours with kids. I mean, it blew my mind. And they're still working hard. It's not like they're really rested because they're still having to study three hours a day. So, that, you know, you're fighting all of that. And, the, um, and, yeah, we broke every rule, I think, of what you're supposed to do on a, on a first project. <laughs> like, we were moving every two days. We shot in three countries in Africa. Uh, they had extreme weather conditions, extreme physical conditions, extreme geographical conditions, um, the language barriers, um, yeah, animals. Although the, that lion, the most professional guy in the gig, <laughs> three takes, hit his mark every time. Like, um, but the, um, the HODs were incredibly important, uh, working with experienced people that knew what to expect um, were, were a bit of a lifeline, really, and the... Um, Sean Bobbitt, who's our DOP, um, moves incredibly fast so the, um, and makes amazing use of natural light as well. And the Fuji stock that he used also just meant that um, all of the colour that was in the landscape would just get soaked up into the, um, into the film. So it was, yeah, I mean, we, we put people through their paces, but thankfully had people that could do that. So. No, it worked. The images were amazing, I thought. Um, so... Them to make up your your crew, were you using any local expertise, or did you take people from the UK to the various? Um, well, we like had to justify the spend, so we um, we had to. It was a complete juggling. I tried to stay out of that as much as possible, but was impacted about who we needed to bring from where, so that enough spend was happening there and there and here. And uh, so post production was pretty much all here. Mm. Um, which meant that um, we brought um, production designer came from the UK, Mike Gunn, Sean Bobbitt came from the, from the UK, um, and Kate Reed, who's our second DOP, came from the. And we shot two cameras the whole time as well. Mm. It would have been impossible without shooting um, consistently two units. Mm. Um, uh, but costume was South Africa, um, obviously hair and makeup. All, almost all of the rest of the crew was South Africa, mm. who were amazing. They're completely brilliant. They were, you know, just just get it done and keep moving and keep smiling. And having kids on set helps with that as well. <laughs> like every time the kids came out, everyone's like, ah, oh, it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, talking about the kids, so um, how, how did you, you know, assemble your, your cast? I think I read you, you found somebody from Norwich, of all yeah, places. Right. But, yeah, I mean, t tell us more about how you... Uh, um, we wanted to have East African kids, again, with the... Um, um, with the um, the kind of slightly magical realist element to it we wanted to make sure that it was authentically grounded in as many ways as possible so it was important to find east east african kids in terms of heritage you know ideally if, uh, if we could rwandan um but i was under contract that it had to be filmed in english not in previously the shorts i made one short in england but the previous shorts have always, always been in you know two in kinuguanda and one in canada so um, uh, they had to be speaking English, which meant that we had to go slightly further afield than Rwanda. So we ended up casting in um, the UK, in the Rwandan diaspora, in South Africa, which I wasn't thrilled about, but we had to to just cover the bases. Mm. Um, uh, Uganda, Kenya, Rwanda and Burundi. So it was a pretty stressful <laughs> four months. But we found Sherry, who plays Celeste, we found her at the very first audition through the Rwandan embassy in London. Uh, mistakenly thought it was going to be easy um, and then um, 
Dudu uh, was working at a dance troupe, Aria was working at a dance troupe in um, Kampala, and um, we found uh, Sanyu and Eve, who play Beatrice and Fulman George, also in Kampala, um, although Eve is Rwandan. And um, Roger kept us waiting right to the last minute, the guy that plays Fabrice. Like we could, we could, because it's such a specific thing. We wanted him to look Rwandan, and actually specifically Tutsi Rwandan. We wanted him to... Um, uh, obviously, he had to be a good footballer. Mm. He had to have that slightly kind of middle-class cockiness about him. Um, yeah, it was a it was a tall order, and we had like three of the four elements in about three different kids, but not all four. <laughs> and then um, everyone was panicking slightly. We were due to start shooting end of January, beginning of Feb, um, and uh, our producer went to his. Um, uh, in-laws for Christmas and his mum who knows nothing about the industry at all always keeps clippings for him every year so from like January the previous year she clipped out this thing about this kid in Norwich who'd um, he was a, a refugee from Rwanda had been born during 94 had lost his father his mum had come to England he'd been brought up in Norwich and he tried out for Norwich FC <laughs> <laughs> so um, he rings her up he looks her up in the phone book there's not there's not many like Nsembiumbas in the phone book so he rings her up the mum thinks it's a hoax and he manages to convince her that I'll get on the train and come and meet him the next day uh, put him on tape and the rest is history <laughs> total random chance and that's um, Fabrice that's Fabrice yeah. yeah so no. not not an important part really. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> like, excellent. Um, he I was doing a drama GCSE, though, you know. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, you got lucky there. Well, um, okay, well, that's, I was just thinking maybe we should open it up to the floor. So if anyone has a question for Debs at all, that would be... Okay, lady at the back. I noticed that you picked up on the child soldiers aspect and the AIDS... Um, aspect how did you actually sort of work those into or what gave you the idea to work those into the story because they're not really obvious but you know they are obvious in another way but the way you did it because you used the children to sort of put the story across and the children didn't judge him when he said that he'd been a soldier you know when they realized he'd been a soldier it was really nice the way you'd done that so I just wondered how you got around to doing that um well Ridian um he's a screenwriter he his part of his passion for doing the project came out of the fact that he'd spent previously a year with his family um, living in a, um, I think he spent six months in a, in a tiny Kenyan village and then had travelled around um, throughout Africa and in Asia as well for the Salvation Army, like to write a book for the Salvation Army about um, the current state of play with AIDS and stuff um, and people dealing with that. So he had a lot of history and I think he felt... Um, it was something that he wanted to address in a positive way, in a you know, through the story. Um, the it also was partly, you know, oh man, there's loads, of, there's loads of ways to answer that. One is um, why should family films always be living in a in a completely perfect world where nothing? I mean, kids nowadays know that stuff isn't completely right with the world, so I'd much rather engage with stuff on a human level rather than in a kind of impenetrable news story. Like, I remember being 16 when the genocide happened, living in Yorkshire, but my mum obviously had her background in Rwanda, and watching on the news over here this completely incomprehensible situation that white people were trying to sort out. And then my mum is in the next room talking to her friends and her family, you know, and their, their hideous situations and miraculous escapes and acts of huge kindness as well as total devastation. 
And I remember sitting there thinking like, both of these things are talking about the same reality, but they're completely different. One is impenetrable and one I can relate to. And so that kind of, that was a big part of wanting to, you know, from the perspective, like a love letter to East African kids who, you know, it's a factor of life. Like some people have AIDS. And, but what does that mean when you're a kid growing up if you're affected by it? How do you engage with it? How do you relate to it? What do you think about it? How do you deal with it? You know, and with the child soldier element, um, Emmanuel Jarl that plays Tulu, um, who plays the, you know, the older guy that's chasing after George, he was a child soldier. So um, he's Sudanese and uh, was a child soldier between the ages of, I think, seven or eight to 13, 12, 13. And um, so um, both Bernie from the music side, because he's now a performing artist, and myself had read his autobiography called War Child. And um, so when we were developing the script, we'd um, hung out with him quite a lot you know, gone for, there's, a, there's Mama Muniz's Sudanese food on uh, Green Lanes in Harangay. It's great food, man. So we used to go and hang out with him there and talk about the, the plot line and the characters with him. So George was based a lot on his story. And, um, and again, the desire to humanise a completely incomprehensible situation if we could. Okay. Any more questions? Gentlemen here. Just tell us a little bit more about the audience. I'm wondering when you write a film, how, how, you, how you think it's going to play with the audience, because the audience in Britain is presumably going to be very different to Rwanda or Burundi or South Africa. That's the first part of the question. The second part is, is it going to be how, many, how many countries is it going to be released in and how do you think it will play? Yeah, that's a tough question at the minute. It opens this weekend, so I'm, um, I'm quite nervous about that right now. Um, I have no idea. Like the, We've had great reactions from... Um, uh, audiences of kids like great reactions did a few test screenings quite early on and everyone was a bit blown away by how well it went down um, the, um, but we just have to see I don't know whether people go and see it or not um, the, the challenge always I think is um, especially if you're telling a story that belongs to a different country is to ensure, ensure that it plays well in the country as well as in an overseas audience I feel very strongly about that. You know, having sort of grown up in different places around the world, it's one of the things that I think is completely objectionable is to ignore the audience that the story belongs to for the sake of an audience that might be casually interested. <laughs> I mean, I've been, incidentally, in a screening of a Belgian film in um, Kigali in Rwanda where the guy completely rewrote events and then invited all of the government ministers to come and watch the film. And it, was, it was incomprehensible. I, mean, I won't tell you the name of the film or the filmmaker, but it was devastatingly stupid and ignorant and offensive. And the guys were spittingly angry about it. I mean, understandably, because they'd, they'd rewritten the events surrounding a massacre, claiming that the white guys had helped, when in fact, in reality, they'd just walked away. I mean, it was just incomprehensible. So it feels like... It feels like you, you, I mean, in the same way as doing anybody's story, you owe a, a, a debt to try and tell it in a way that's faithful to them as well as in the way that will play elsewhere. So I hope, I hope it will play well in different things. And it's, um, I think it's sold quite a few territories already. So it will play, um, it's sold in the, in the Middle East and the Far East and uh, some European ter territories. Yeah, and, it, you know, hopefully we'll do a premiere in Rwanda in about a month's time. So fingers crossed. <laughs> Anyone else? Lady at the back. How did you film the last shot? Did you really get permission? I'm sure you didn't to go into the 
into the big stadium. In the stadium. Mm. Um, the, it depends whether or not this is off the record. <laughs> well, we're going to be putting it on our website, so <laughs> only students will have access to that. Um, the, um, the, Fabrice was on the pitch. He was part of the opening ceremony. Roger, the kid that plays Roger. So we were there on June 11th um, with the, and the opening ceremony organisers um, gave us access and wrote him in and absolutely amazing. So it was filmed during the dress rehearsal. Um, we had to change certain elements because we don't like we had to VFX. We had to in the end we used the footage from the dress rehearsal and VFXed in the crowd um, because we couldn't get the image rights to Soccer City. It was mental. We had the image rights to Soccer City and we filmed in Soccer City in the shoot, which was in I think it was during March when we filmed there. Um, but because of the broadcast rights to the actual event uh, being completely blocked off. We had to recreate it enough that it was different, even though it was real. It was mental. But anyway, yeah, he was there. Of, he was on the pitch. There's lots of rights around that kind of situation. Oh, so. my word. Like, don't, don't get involved with FIFA and image rights. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've been lovely in every other way, but when it comes to broadcast, like, forget about it. It looked good, though. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, that's the guys <laughs> at Molyneux. The, uh, Molyneux did all of our posts, and they were absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Any other questions? Oh, there's a lady at the back there in the glasses. Yeah. Hi, I noticed that you used a lot of um, animation when the uh, little boy was telling the story. Was it because, um, you know, it's, you, you use children as actors and so on just to keep that element of interest and stuff like that? Because it was quite interesting how it was done because the colours were really quite bright and it was quite comical and, and so on as well. I really like that aspect oh, cool. of it, yeah. It came from... Um we actually had to fight really hard, really hard to keep the animation because the um, execs, understandably, were A, worried that it would dist distract somehow from the narrative flow and also um, concerned that it was another element that we just didn't need to deal with. And to be honest, in retrospect, they were right. Like, I don't recommend going out of a completely insane shoot right into an animation shoot at the same time as you're having to deliver a de director's cut five weeks after you've wrapped. Like, it was, the, the schedule was bonkers. Um, but we felt like it was really crucial to have it because because Dudu is so much out, he pushes so much out, and he's so much about other people and kind of keeping the show on the road. It felt like there were, it, we needed that to get inside what he felt and the way that he, whether he was even conscious of it or not, there's the sense of him trying to understand the history of what happened in his country, the, the way that they were... Um, uh, the, relating to the team and trying to bring the team together and then him coming to terms with his own sort of condition um, you know that plus wanting him to be a storyteller because that felt like culturally that was an important factor um, plus the challenge of like what does an illiterate Rwandan street kid's imagination look like you know <laughs> so the animators were amazing um, it, we actually we worked with the commercials guys that normally work on commercials um, so bless them, their, their, their um, gestation period is normally about three weeks and they worked on this for about a year. Um, but they took themselves off to Rwanda um, and worked with a bunch of um, child-headed household kids that hadn't been to school to say, all right, how would you imagine this? How would you picture that? What does a monster look like? What does, um, you know, if you were going to illustrate this, how would you do it? And some of those kids make um, banana plant, anima uh, banana plant greetings cards. And that, so... Those animations are made out of images that the kids made and 
they brought back because I don't know if you've ever been to Rwanda, but it's like the cleanest place on the planet. It's amazing. The um, plastic bags are outlawed, so um, there's no rubbish anywhere, and um, everything gets recycled. Like everything, absolutely everything. So if, if the you know a watch will break and the parts will get used to make something else, it's it's incredibly inspiring. So the guy, the animators, brought home like eleven suitcases full of stuff. And the whole world is made out of Rwandan tat, basically. <laughs> like, so. Anybody else? Yeah. A gentleman at the front here. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Would you have liked to make the film longer, or was the sense to keep it short so that you're on a, it gives you the sense that you're on a sort of exciting journey? <coughs> yeah, it was. Um, this, we were fighting the scripts all the time. We were fighting to the even going into production. We had a, about 110 pages uh, of script, which was really compressed. They kept they kept saying you have to cut, you have to cut, and we just kept um, <laughs> playing white space conquest, like just trying to not actually cutting detail, just making it more compact, which wasn't clever. <laughs> um, not to be recommended. <laughs> um, so, uh, but because it was so linear. Um, it meant that we had very little room to manoeuvre. The, you know, there's some things that maybe in an ideal world I would have liked to have shaped a bit more or shaped around, but we had to leave in because the plot just wouldn't make sense without because it, you know, literally was they start here and they finish here. The only bits that we had in there that we cut out were we had we went back to the parents a bit more, um, but it just felt we just don't need it at all. You know, whenever he throws his phone, that's it. You, you know, you're done with the parents. This isn't, this isn't about parents trying to find their kids. This is about kids going on a journey. So, um, I, I mean, again, we were aiming squarely at a 12A rating, so it needed to be not much longer than 90 minutes for that audience. So it was, you know, that's that's what it needed to be. Yeah. No, it works. Okay, okay there's a, a lady just here in a white scarf. Hi, evening. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, wonderful. I just wondered how difficult it was for you not to criticise some of the countries that you were going through. Because um, I saw, I mean, it didn't hit me until I saw Mugabe <laughs> on the top of this shit hill. And I thought, ooh, is that <laughs> going through Zimbabwe and all that. So I just wondered how difficult it was for you to try and keep that element out or the... I think we just—I think we weren't interested in political wranglings at all. You know, we the—I the, think it was um, no. It felt like a fair cop to do the Bugatti thing, but the apart from that, you know, like Obama is everywhere in the in um, in Rwanda and Burundi right now. Like kids, there's Obama bubblegum, Obama watches, Obama shirts about like. You know, the kids rip out the cover of the bubble gum and, and stick it on their button. And it's, it's not to do with politics. It's to do with that guy looks like my friend. And so if he can do it, why can't I? And that, like, that is what we were interested in, not trying to make any kind, any kind of political statement, really, beyond the politics of kids have the right to dream and they have the right to be given a chance and they have the right to an education and that kind of stuff, you know? You mentioned, for example, um, when they're at the border... And the South African guards at the gate were saying things like, go back to Zimbabwe, we all know what that's about. So it felt like you, do you know what I mean? If I watched it again, I'd probably pick up on things a bit more. But I was lost in the, the fairy tale. And obviously, from my background of African heritage, I'm looking at storytelling and 
your grandparents and your parents tell you things about lizards and yeah, animals yeah, 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 and it's yeah, all yeah, very yeah. much Dodo's kind of way yeah. of telling you about what's happening and that's a, but I would like to watch it again and, and I, I'm quite interested to know well, I think the, border, really the South African like um, border crossing is an interesting one because, um, I mean, that is fantasy land. It, but hopefully with the penalty sequence, we're showing that, you know, it's like we're throwing reality out the window at this point. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, you, hopefully you've bought in to the extent that you're happy to go with it by then. And it's, and it's clear that that's what we're saying. Because I think, you know, I was, I was worried, actually, because there's a real problem of people heading, you know, like... The streets are paved in gold in London, in Dick Whittington times. Like there's a bit of that sense about South Africa, and we, we were really, really keen not to be giving the message of the kids heading south to glory on that on that level. And again, why we wanted to have a, a totally fantastical element to the South African border crossing, because I mean, in reality, there were loads of kids that did head south for the World Cup, and they just got penned in at the South African crossing. So. You know, it was a struggle to um, not in any way want to present South Africa as the great as the great hope. You know, like the so I yeah I know what you mean. We 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 did our best not to be sending out unhelpful kind of vibes on that level. So thanks. Well done. Oh, thank you, lady. Over I would like to know a little bit about the process of uh, directing the kids. Um, the, in terms of casting, the, we kind of weren't really interested in um, trying to find trained kids. It was more to try and find kids that had the characteristics that they could bring themselves to the part and just go with it. Um, so that, and to find kids that could deal with the rigours of the shoot because we knew that it was going to be um, insane and it was more insane than I thought. Um, it got to the, the schedule was so compressed. You know, literally, I look, we were looking at schedule and prep, um, and uh, I was thinking, oh my goodness, that's quite tight. But I was thinking independent grown-ups shoot where you can shoot 12 hours a day. Like, it, it was, I can't tell you the slap of the face to realise that we were going to be able to shoot half days, and that was it. You know, apart from maybe a handful of days, half a dozen days out of 40, where we had grown-ups and so we could shoot a bit longer on them. So um, we had to figure out uh, a schedule which would allow the kids to stay fresh, which could work out who we needed to sh shoot on first because some of the kids would start up here and then go down and others of the kids would start here and then get better. Um, we had to, um, because we were moving location every two days, we just weren't able to go and technically prep properly in each different location. So we had to figure out, okay, how do we handle that as well in terms of um, Sean and Kate and the, and the cinematography and all the rest so the 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 um solution that we found was that uh the first 20 minutes of every setup uh, of every sort of fresh setup i would spend um just me and the kids everybody else would piss off just me and the kids we'd block it through we'd get the you get the feel of it feel out the space um find the sort of physical shape of it um but they wouldn't perform you know we'd go we'd run the lines but not but without performance because otherwise um Dudu would lose it completely um so we did that and then we'd run a very depressing blocking with Sean and Kate looking on and then from there we'd agree the shot list right boom 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 how long is it going to take this is how long we've got we'd have 10 minutes to do that and then um and then we had to start in 
we normally shot on Doody first because he's so high energy that, and he just gets bored. He gets bored incredibly quickly. So if we didn't get it in the first few takes, we had to change the line. Um, the, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> like, um, the, if it got too close to lunch, he would completely slow. And, it was, you know, and then the other, some of the older kids, like normal actors, they would get better um, as it went. So coming around to them. But then because we were shooting two cameras all the time, it was trying to figure out, do we go in closer? Do we get the wide so we can match it? It was... It was tricky. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much how that went. <laughs> and then like, is there half an hour? Okay, school. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was bonkers. Anyone else? Lady here. Hi, um, I really enjoyed the film. Oh, so thank you. Thank you for screening it here. Um, I'm interested in terms of the co-production deal between Burundi, South Africa, and the UK. What percentage of spend um, as part of the agreement needed to as for the as the overall budget needed to be spent in each of those questions. Um, it's a good question. I don't necessarily know the answer to the. Um, I don't know if it was equivalent or not. I think it can't have been equivalent. Uh, I, my suggestion is that it was probably a sizable chunk UK and South Africa, a smaller chunk Rwanda. But that, that's a total guess. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> Hi. Um, well, firstly, I enjoyed the film. Um, my question was also about the co-production treaty, because I know it's, it's incredibly hard for any filmmaker to actually get access to that funding. So the fact that you've actually gone through it, I just wanted to know how difficult it was and, and how you felt the process was. Because I know up to last year, the claim was that no filmmaker has actually accessed the money, although it's been running since, what, 2008 or something? What, with the DTI in South Africa? Or? Um, through the, the Film Council. We the, uh, my, honestly, um, I was told when it impinged on who we could hire where and how long we could spend where, but thankfully there were a lot of other people working hard to make that work. Okay. I don't know. Right, well, well done. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we'll probably come to you for advice. <laughs> okay. Any more questions? Uh, one over there in the corner. Is there anything that you would like to have done differently? Yeah, pretty much everything. <laughs> like, they're not kidding. The, you know that phrase, um, or the, the way that they call it, directing is dying by degrees? Like, it was the most crushingly disappointing eight weeks of my life um, during the shoot, being honest. Um, because every day, you know, the sun wouldn't come out, or the sun would come out, or we couldn't move fast enough here, or we missed that shot there, or communication was bad, or, the, you know, the kids weren't quite right. You know, like, the... It would, the, the pressure, being completely candid, was unlike anything I've ever experienced before in my life. But then that's, you know, it is just the process, isn't it? Like, you know, you have it here in your head so that it can come there when it's interpreted through all the people on a set so that it can come there when it gets back in the edit room so that it can, you know, it's... Um, it, I do probably... There's about three scenes that we do identically if we do it again, but the... Hopefully, the sum of the whole is greater than the, the individual parts, and it and it comes together. The thing that I was proud of is that the um, the spirit of the thing was right. You know, like I felt like I wanted to. There were there was 
you know, a gut feeling that we wanted to communicate or an underlying something that we wanted to communicate and it felt like as long as that's in there, it's all right. I can deal with the disappointments on every other level, but if we'd lost that, that would have been um, unrecoverable. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. oh. Anyone else? I remember I said we have the composer um, yeah. in the house, and now the music in a film was very good. So if you have any questions at all about the music, um, Bernie's just here in the audience, and we're quite happy to answer them. That's Bernie in the back there. It's a pretty so unusual process that he has. Yeah. He, was, he was quite intrinsic all the way through, so... Yeah. So what do you think of the music? Any questions? <laughs> I thought it was great. Of course you would. Um, okay, well, I, I still have questions if nobody else does. Um, so even though... You know, it was called um, Africa United. And it was, uh, we did visit various, you know, parts of Africa, but it definitely felt like it was. Um, it had a, a Rwandan sort of spin and an origin. So, why why Rwanda per se? Why why not? You know, maybe maybe South Africa or you know Senegal or some somewhere else. Why, why Rwanda? And why this time? I think uh, partly why not, mm -hmm. but also partly um, the you know it's time it's time for a new Rwandan story. Um, that it, it's it's true, it's right, it's happening, um, and also partly just the you know it's the it's so clearly skewed in one direction that it felt like there was a big opportunity to tell a different kind of um, thing, and also the personal connection you know lots of and that's where the idea came from. So <laughs> that's what we run with. Yeah. yeah. So do you think you were, you were swayed maybe a little bit by your, your, your personal connections? Oh, full on, full on. Uh, and they've got a burgeoning film community, actually. The, um, our our uh, Rwandan producer, Eric Cabrera, is like Mr. Rwanda Cinema, and he's set up a cinema centre. Um, there's um, kids who are making, uh, sort of learning how <coughs> to make films and are making quite good short films that play around the place as well. Um, there's a there's a film festival annually every year an international film festival oh. it plays in Kigali in the capital and then they take it on um, an 80 foot inflatable screen around to like stadiums in the more remote areas mm -hmm. so then you get like 4,000 people come and watch you know whatever's on in the in the open air in the middle of the night mm -hmm. kind of in Rahangari Kibuye like um, uh, sort of more remote places which is dead interesting too so there's a, you know, there is a kind of film community, and ironically, a lot of people have been working there as a result of people coming to make films that are genocide-based. So there's a there's a big hunger there as well to be making different kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. And were you um, maybe ever tempted uh, to leave out those kind of issues that I mean, you, you, which you dealt with you know, with a lightness of touch, sort of, you know, you. Child prostitution and no. um, the child soldiers. You didn't ever feel like maybe you might not want to. Explore no, because that. it was part. Of, I mean, that was the whole. That's what made it interesting is the fact that the, you know, it's kids that it's too tempting to just say, well, these can't be heroes because they've got problems. But then everybody's got problems, and they're you know, the the we're so afraid of pain all the time, and actually, you meet kids on the street or in, I mean, Bernie goes and um, records kids in refugee camps and orphanages and all over the place, like these vocal samples that you then hear in the soundtrack. 
But those kids have more joy than kids on the street in London. Do you know what I mean? So it's so not a it's not a, a a wealth condition that gives you hope or gives you happiness or whatever. And so the um, it ju- it feels true. Like Dudu's mad outlook on life, it felt like we hadn't seen that character before, but it's very much in existence. Um, you just don't see it on um, you know the only African kids that you see are swollen, bellied, and in refugee camps, which again is totally true, but it's just not the full picture. So. Um, it just, yeah, it felt great characters and a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so what, what, what are the um, young actors uh, doing now since uh, taking part in your... Oh, my project? word, they were just over. They just left today, which is a bit gutting. We had them over for, for lunch and we were in the park getting the drums out and stuff. But they had the premiere yesterday. Drums? The, um, the, um, the, you know, it was a proper full-on Leicester Square premiere. Um, the two girls were dressed like Disney princesses. It was completely brilliant. And, the, you know, red carpet, cameras, the lot. It was awesome. It was really cool. So I, don't, I, I think they don't know what's hit them right now. <laughs> <laughs> but they're loving it. They're totally loving it. Mm. So, I mean, so, oh, question back there. Beg your pardon. Burning question, please. Yeah, please. I just wanted to find out from you how you... How many local musicians you used in in the tracks that we heard, yeah, yeah. and what's happened to those young people whose voices, yeah, who, yeah. who lent their voices to the tracks and stuff? What you know? Yeah, yeah. I always want to know what's happening. I want to know what's happening with the kids after you left them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the what's the impact? Yeah, totally. Um, good question. Well, how many? So my process, very simply, is. I love sounds coming from authentic places, so I just go there. I just need an excuse to travel, right? So I, I kind of did a lot of travelling around. I went around South Africa twice, then I went to Rwanda, went all over the place, then I went to Burundi, and I drove back to Rwanda because someone said someone sang quite cool. And there's, there was also a xylophone that had a sick, in a hollow. Someone <coughs> had built a xylophone where the, if you stand in the hollow, you're like in the resident chamber of the xylophone. I thought that sounded quite cool went there, didn't record very well, but anyway. I just kind of moved around recording traditional instruments, people, like, and so there was probably about 62 groups or people I recorded, and a lot of them aren't on it, <laughs> but that's just the way it goes, because... Because I was kind of expecting to hear more, like, marimbas and, like, the thing, you know, the old finger pianos or whatever, yeah. just the real, the chorus and yeah. people from Uganda with the... The specific style of singing, or something, I don't know, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. but it sounded really modern. It was quite slick. I can hear it going out as a film soundtrack and being some kind oh, of a maybe. Hit well, maybe, it's, but you know, isn't it always <clears throat> interesting? Because I, uh, you can go different ways, right? Yeah. And you want it to play to a Western audience. You want it to be fun. You want it to be fresh. You want it to be African. And I've been there like twenty-three times. I love Africa, but also you want you don't want it to be Lion King. Um, and what else is there <laughs> it's like okay it's, it's almost like finding temp tracks for this for them to edit to was actually quite hard yeah it's impossible because there's not much like, out there, is, there there isn't really. dramatic music that fits this film it was impossible we had um, to get it new <laughs> but you know there's a lot but I actually hear you totally because I recorded a bunch of things that I loved like I recorded the Ananga the Rwandese harp, which is amazing, but just an example to you, like, it was very difficult to use it because um, it's tuned to the pentatonic scale, which is East African tradition, right? 
and you play a sample of that to an exec back here <laughs> and they go oh you see I know it's African but my head is in Asia and I'm like okay but it's African and they're like but it's Asia and I'm like but it's African <laughs> and they're like but it's Asia and the problem is you play this to some like you know I don't know a kid in Bracknell or hopefully a kid in New York right and, and he's watching the film He's transported to Asia through the music. It's just not where the education's at. People don't understand that that's what East Africa is. So I think there's a big gap in musical knowledge. But anyway, it's I have it put as well. Let them listen. Let them well, accept well, this is the music from East Africa funny, and well, done. Yeah, I, I you agree, know, so eventually. It's a balance. It's a bit, well. Hopefully, it's a process. You know, hopefully more films can be made there. There's not enough. But you have, you know. It's not. I'm not criticising at all. I'm just curious about the whole no, process. No, I appreciate it. I think it's a good question. I think, um, in terms of what's been going on with them, I basically I, I paid everyone I worked with a certain amount, and then um, I've been trying to develop some of the ones I liked. <laughs> There's a few that I think have real potential, so I've been trying to develop them. <laughs> so that's something for the future. But. Um, there's a bunch of music that wasn't used in the film that I made, and we're just discussing about how we get it out, basically. So, yeah, so hopefully more of that. But it's always that interesting element of what works with picture, uh, what's real, <laughs> and what kind of, what do we like? What kind of serves the need of the scene? And so it's a bit of a mix, but... So the music's always taking second place to what's happening on screen then. <laughs> Touching a painful area right now. <laughs> it must have know. final mix and composers, like, oh my word. Hopefully, hopefully it's a nice little kind of arm wrestle um, <laughs> where it all comes together at some points. And I don't know, it's, I really like what it, where it's at now. But, you know, it's, it's trying to reflect the right people. Obviously, if you go, to, I've been fortunate, I've travelled around East Africa. Most people that see the film probably will never go there because it's not the natural place to go on holiday if you live in <coughs> London or somewhere. You know, it's not, you don't think let's go on vacation there. Although it should be, there's like eco-reserves in Rwanda which are just yeah. pristine, it's completely amazing. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's cool, swimming but the lake. You, I, I love the idea of people kind of experiencing something real, but in a way they can, I've got lots of friends that say, oh, you know, Africa looks great, but I don't really like African music. And what they mean is they don't really like tracks that last 20 minutes, that don't have any progression, have lots of vocals they don't understand and have, you know, it just, that's what they mean. And it's, for me, it's annoying because I know lots of good African music, for example, and it, it, I'm saying, well, listen to this. They're like, well, and it's, it doesn't, it feels like a different world because it's not on the radio, it's not in their world. And trying to connect the worlds is part of what I want to do. When I'm sat on a plane coming back to England, it's a bit like, oh no. Got to come back to Radio 1. But it's like, you know, <laughs> but we're on the same planet, you know, everyone's making music, it's just a language. So, yeah, but I hear you. Okay, question on you. Actually, I didn't, this is one film where I didn't think that the music was secondary. I actually thought the, the it was so extraordinary, it was as beautiful as the visuals and the colour, and and it was as much as the experience as actually uh, following the the narrative and the kids and the relief and the beautiful animation which really brought it into another domain because you could be there on the step-by-step -step journey but then oh, you could be more metaphorical, philosophical and global and see what's really happening. So I thought the music was extraordinary, really. Oh, and, and, and I really want to compliment you because you used it in a way that wasn't unofficial, didn't need it, but it just, it just was half the film. Great. It was half the story. The music was half the story. No, and, it, and it expressed emotion without 
being cliched or anything. You just did it in the music, so oh, great you. compliment. There's one thing I'd, I'd add, actually. I don't know if you remember the... There's a Ting Ting's track, yeah. which obviously is not mine. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but that was a bit of a process of getting that. But it's almost like you want to connect these worlds, right? It's Africa, yeah. Uh, but it's also... We're on the same planet, and you want it to feel like the same world that kids live in here. You know, that's important, actually. It's important that the Ting Tings were in it, in that example, you know, because you want people to feel like, oh, we're, on the, we're all the same. You, you want to emphasize that. Anyway, yeah. But Thank you, though. <laughs> Thank you. They are the things that just trans, that hooks up everybody, really. Brilliant. I was going to say about the Ting Tings, because I think it is a nice balance that you don't just want to be one thing or, an, or another. There's no sort of like feeling you've got to have just African music. And I think that scene's a really nice scene, the kids singing that song. You know, you get that enthusiasm, and there's a, I think it's a, a really nice scene. That's very gratifying, considering how hard we had to fight to get the clearance <laughs> on that track. You have no, no idea. <laughs> oh, I thought it really worked well. That. Thank you. What was the budget of the film? It's four million quid. Four million. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Bit of a leap. <laughs> yeah. So, crossing fingers for a, for a good release at the weekend. Okay. So, final questions um, from anyone? No. Everybody, oh. everyone also always ends with what's your next project. Yeah, I was going <laughs> <laughs> Ah, you beat me to that. <laughs> so, um, I'm just starting to look at a couple now. It's quite exciting. I've had one topic of conversation for a year and a half, so I'm quite looking forward to have something else to talk about. <laughs> um, so I'm just, um, over the last couple of weeks, just started to um, chat about new ones. The, um, no, there's a couple that I'm quite into, but they're not, they're not quite up and running yet. Okay, our final question. You, because a lot of people, if you didn't explain your mother and your background, they would say, why are you a woman, football, fair, Caucasian? How do you know this subject? What do, you, do, you, do you always have to say where you were born and your no, roots? It's, well, I, think, I, I mean, I, I know Bernie has the same thing. You feel like, you know, you, you, you have come in the wrong package. Like, the, yeah. you know, it doesn't... Um, <laughs> You don't obviously have the right, and there's a real. Um, it's important to be humble about that because the idea of like white people marching in and commandeering, like we're very nervous of that. And um, yeah, so I do find that we want to kind of say there is a there is a history and a, a family history in Rwanda, and there is a um, you know the football show connection on the football level as well. And um, and we you know we we kind of wanted to make every effort that we could to be collaborating rather than just marching in and controlling because it it is weird isn't it like whether you have the right to tell somebody else's story or not it's um it's an odd thing of um, filmmaking I don't know but yeah no I, it is something that I feel a bit sensitive about and feel like the the packaging is is not no, suited <laughs> I don't think you should I think that's a cliche that they put on oh, other really? people I think you really got into it but for instance the kids did you bring them in the cutting room and see what they felt about different scenes or something yeah like well we showed them they came over for ADR in um uh it was uh just before picture lock <coughs> just around that time so it was getting to the point where we really needed to 
And we, we screened a lot. We screened a lot, a lot with test audiences, execs, uh, the Rwandan embassy, the South African embassy. You know, I'm, I'm a feedback monster, man. The, I, I want to get as many opinions as possible, like no promises to agree, but the more um, reactions, the more helpful to figure out how people are going to react. So um, crucial, 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 crucial that it played well to an African audience as well as to a Western one. And... Um, I don't know, I guess we find out now. Okay, great. Thank you, everyone. I think that's all we have time for tonight. Thank you very much.